0: CPRI and the CPRI knowledge Hub, this is Research Minutes, a weekly look at new and important research in education. Today, we look at teacher effectiveness and what we've learned from years of research into teacher evaluation, professional development, and the nation's teaching workforce.
1: I know that there's a lot of debate sometimes about how we should evaluate teachers and which method is best, but I think that those arguments are a little bit misguided we welcome
0: American University's Seth Gershenson, author of a new working paper examining various studies and approaches centered on identifying and producing effective teachers.
1: He shares what he learned from his analysis. Having a good mentor in your student teaching practice really boosts your effectiveness as a classroom teacher down the road.
0: And some potential implications for education policy, practice, and future research.
1: Taking this type of behaviorally informed approach to designing teacher policy, I think is really promising.
0: That's right now on Research Minutes. Hello and welcome to Research Minutes. I'm Keith Hummeller, Managing Editor of the CIPRI Knowledge Hub. Today, we're happy to be speaking with Seth Gershenson, associate professor with the Department of Public Administration and Policy at American University, and a research fellow with IZA, the Institute of Labor Economics. Welcome back to the podcast, Seth.
1: Thanks for having me. Happy to be back.
0: So today we're discussing your new working paper, which is now available through the Annenberg Institute at Brown University. You can find it at edworkingpapers.com. It's titled Identifying and Producing Effective Teachers. And in it, you offer an accessible review of how we identify effective teachers and the varying ways that districts and schools can help teachers become more effective using the lens of applied economics. Uh, To start, could you just give us a little bit of background? What led you to hone in on teacher effectiveness in general? And why did you approach it from this economic angle?
1: Sure. Well, uh, a lot of my research, including the research we talked about last time I, I visited the podcast is about teachers and different aspects of how and why teachers really matter. And what I've come to conclude and what many others have come to conclude is that teachers really are the most important part of schools. They're the most important input to student learning and student achievement. And given that we roughly know this, that teachers are so important, I thought that it was useful to try to distill and Wrangle all of the different research that different folks have been doing on teachers, and put it all in one accessible document that school board members, school leaders, policymakers, as well as teachers and professors in college and and masters classes can use as a reading and and sort of a reference to keep all of this information together. And I should also say, a lot of this research is moving pretty quickly. There's always a new study coming out somewhere. And so periodically, it's useful to sort of check in and see, okay, you know, what's the frontier of the research on identifying teachers and improving teacher effectiveness? And hopefully this will get people up to speed and and give a sense of all of the new and important research that's out there on teachers. So. Could you give us an
0: overview of your approach to this paper? I mean, were you looking at specific kinds of research?
1: Yeah, so I'm an economist by training, and and a lot of my research has somewhat of an, an economic lens. But but I didn't exclusively look at economics papers. Um, I tried to organize the paper in a few sections, and the first two sections are about just documenting teacher effects, and there. I think the most compelling evidence, uh, for me at least, is so called value added models that basically identify individual teachers' contributions to students' learning gains over the course of a school year. And so I review that literature a little bit, but then I also look at two other important types of teacher assessments one is classroom observations, and the other is more subjective feedback from principals. And so I review what we know about those three different types of measures of teacher effectiveness. And what I conclude is that none of them are perfect. They all have their own strengths and limitations. And they tend to agree more than they disagree. I know that there's a lot of debate sometimes about how we should evaluate teachers and which method is best. But I think that those arguments are a little bit misguided because What I came around to seeing is that these three different approaches to measuring teacher quality or teacher effectiveness are really much more complementary than they are substitutes for one another. And so, what I suggest at the end of that initial section is when possible, we should use multiple measures of assessment to identify effective teachers. And those multiple measures, again, are more quantitative or test score based value added models, classroom observations that have a neutral observant in the classroom, watching and assessing the teacher's command and pedagogy in the classroom. And then lastly, principal ratings. And so together, they sort of triangulate, you know, who's an effective teacher. And I think that all of these three approaches, these three literatures corroborate, A, that teachers are really important, teachers really matter, and that to get a good sense of who's a good teacher, we should be using all three approaches when possible.
0: That was actually going to be my next question. Uh, I was curious if you could walk us through what you learned about how we identify effective teachers in the first place, and if there's some potential strategies that exist to address some of these persistent challenges that have sort of plagued schools and districts over the years. Are there any more that you could uh, clue us
1: in on? Sure. Well, I mean, again, I would just say we shouldn't let the perfect be the enemy of the good None of these approaches are absolutely 100% perfect, and we should embrace the idea that some information is better than no information. And together, using these three multiple measures when possible really gives us the best sense of who's effective in the classroom and who's not. And then, as we'll get to, we'll talk about how can we help teachers who might not be as effective right now get more effective.
0: So let's jump into that section, as I'm sure that a lot of stakeholders across the country are interested in this idea of building teacher effectiveness, um, either in pre-service teachers or in teachers who are currently working. Could you walk us through what you learned in your review there?
1: Sure. The first point is that in most states, teachers have to have some sort of credential or certification, and usually that means attending a teacher training program in a college of education. So, I looked at the research on what are the effective teacher training programs. And somewhat surprisingly, the literature there is very mixed. And it's not really the case that we can say, okay, this type of teacher training program is really good and this one isn't. In fact, what we see is that there's tremendous variation within the graduates of a teacher training program in teacher effectiveness. So, in other words, teacher training program A might produce 50 graduates in a given year who go on to become teachers. And there's gonna be a lot of variation in those 50 teachers in terms of effectiveness in the classroom. So that's not a promising strategy right now, trying to target or mimic certain teacher training programs as a whole. What is more appealing and uh, possibly useful is to think more about student teaching experience that usually happens in the last year or two of a teacher training program. And Dan Goldhaber has written a lot about this. And basically, he finds that teacher mentors are hugely important. And so having a good mentor in your student teaching practice really boosts your effectiveness as a classroom teacher down the road. And so What I take from that idea and the numerous studies that Dr. Goldhaver and his co-authors have written recently on this work is that teacher training programs in general are not maximizing their effectiveness by not fully leveraging their good mentors. So what I mean by that is we could increase the workload of really good master teachers or mentor teachers. And exposing more pre-service teachers to really effective mentors will boost their effectiveness when they get to the classroom. It's not a big cost to the master teachers who do this mentoring and and overseeing of student teachers. And so it's really a win-win opportunity. So that's one way to be more strategic in the teacher training pre-service world. Then another thing that Goldhaber and his team recognize is that the conditions in which you do your student teaching also seem to predict your effectiveness in the classroom in terms of the socioeconomic or demographic makeup of the school you do your student teaching in. And so if you're going to be in a school of a certain type, it's much more useful to do your training, to do your student teaching in a similar school with similar students. Because then you're really practicing and preparing and learning to teach in the type of school you're actually going to move to. It looks like too many student teaching assignments happen in sort of the ideal setting of a very well-funded, very high-achieving school. And that gives teachers a a sort of a false sense of security because things are a little bit easier than they're going to be when they get to their real placement, when, when there are high stakes and they become the head teacher. So those are two ways that I think we could and should be more thoughtful about the student teaching process, which, from what I've read, is probably the most important part or one of the most important parts of that pre-service teacher training. So the other thing we should think about is how we do in-service teacher development for current teachers. And there, there's a long history of various seminars and and programs for in-service teachers to to keep them current on teaching methods and so on but unfortunately most of the credible evidence there finds no significant effects of what we call traditional in-service pd or in-service professional development and what we mean by traditional in-service programs are basically big seminars or big workshops or classrooms where an expert stands up on the stage and speaks to a room full of dozens, if not hundreds of teachers, that type of in-service professional development is not very effective. And it might actually be counterproductive because it's often taking teachers out of the classroom and taking away a day of learning from students. Instead, what I learned from doing this review is that a new, more personalized form of in-service PD known as teacher coaching is much more useful and has much more potential. And here, Matt Craft in particular of Brown University and some others have done really important work experimentally and theoretically showing how these personalized teacher coaching programs really improve teacher effectiveness. And this circles back a little bit to the classroom observations I mentioned at the beginning. And the reason is that the teacher coaching program gives personalized feedback to teachers. And it turns out that's what's really important. There's no one-size-fits-all approach to professional development uh, or even to sort of improving teacher effectiveness across the board. Teaching is such a personal and unique job that you know most teachers are going to have one or two unique things that they could improve on And the teacher coaching program is what really lets that happen. And so these coaches literally observe teachers in the classroom, just like an observation rater would, and then they provide personal feedback. And this has been shown to be pretty effective. The key thing here is to have enough coaches to keep their workloads manageable so that they have the time and energy to deliver that important personal feedback.
0: You also discussed some workforce issues, including the supply and mobility of effective teachers and how and where initial teachers are placed. So uh, what did you learn there in your review?
1: So here, this is pretty intuitive, uh, and you might expect that on average, teachers tend to prefer higher achieving schools in wealthier communities. So we see a, a pattern of sorting where teachers over the course of their career prefer to move to those types of schools. There is a racial dimension to that, where white teachers are even more mobile in that way than teachers of color, although the pattern is sort of there for everybody. And so this brings up a point that we talked about last time I was on a podcast about teacher diversity and the, the importance of teacher diversity. And long story short, the teacher workforce is very unrepresentative of the student body. The student body is now about 50% white and 50% students of color, while the teaching force remains over 80% white. And given what we know about the effects of same race teachers, this means that the quality or the effectiveness of teachers that students of color are exposed to is systematically lower than, than the quality of teachers that white students are exposed to if for no other reason than these race match effects that white students benefit from and students of color don't. And so when we think about recruiting new teachers, one policy objective might be to increase the diversity of the teaching force. And similarly, with the teachers we already have, we might think about being more strategic in creating exposure for students of color to same race teachers. So those are two points about recruiting into the workforce. And coupled with this issue of of teachers systematically moving away from lower performing schools and schools in relatively disadvantaged communities, this also means that teacher experience tends to be lower in those schools. And so this is another dimension on which students from disadvantaged backgrounds and students of color tend to have less access to high-quality teachers. And so there, what we might think about is providing incentives for teachers to stay in those schools. And I think there's some evidence that financial incentives matter and can work. And so that's something else to seriously think about, is using small bonuses or financial incentives to recruit and retain teachers in lower-performing schools where they'll have even more impact. One other thing I can say about the financial incentives is that designing the financial incentives correctly is really important. And there's a really fascinating study by some economists, uh, some behavioral economists who use insights from psychology to think about how to get the most bang for your buck with these financial incentives. So they rely on an idea from behavioral economics and psychology called loss aversion, which is basically the idea that a dollar in your hand is more salient and more valuable to you than the promise of a dollar in the future. And they do a big experiment in Illinois where some teachers are promised a bonus if they reach certain goals at the end of the year. Other teachers are given the bonus upfront And then told that that bonus money will be taken away at the end of the year if they don't meet those goals. In both cases, the end of year goals are the same and the size of the financial award is the same. The only difference is the psychological framing of how that's presented to the teachers. And there is another study, another similar study that I just saw that was published in the past day or two, that finds a very similar result. And so taking this type of behaviorally informed approach. To designing teacher policy, I think is really promising.
0: So following all your work and tracking all this research and the teacher effectiveness, I'm curious if you come away thinking, are there any areas that deserve further study? Are there holes that still need to be filled in in the literature?
1: Yeah, for sure. I think that the teacher coaching and in-service professional development, I think there's still work to do there in terms of how best to effectively scale those programs up. I mentioned that the teacher training programs can do a lot more in terms of strategic assignments of pre-service teachers to mentors and student teaching assignments. We have a lot more we can do in leveraging the diverse teachers that we already have and in recruiting and retaining a more diverse teacher workforce. And so I think there is active, ongoing research in all of those areas, and I'm involved in some of it with the diversity recruiting piece. But all of that, I think, is important work that is ongoing.
0: Well, this is great work, Seth. And we want to encourage our listeners to go and read the full working paper. Again, it's titled Identifying and Producing Effective Teachers, and it's available now through the Annenberg Institute at Brown University at edworkingpapers.com. Seth Gershenson, thanks so much for joining us today.
1: Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. Thanks
0: for listening to this week's Research Minutes, presented by the CPRE Knowledge Hub. For more episodes or to subscribe to the series, you can find us at researchminutes.org. To share thoughts on today's episode or to suggest a future topic, you can follow us on Twitter at CPRE That's C-P-R-E Hub.